Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bear Insider Ultimate Insider Podcast. I'm Mike Ploski, former Cal quarterback, 11-year pro, and radio analyst. First of all, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Happy holidays and a happy new year coming up here. Uh, we are back now for our defensive review of the season. And so I have my same experts with me here today, Greg Richardson, the, the publisher and grand poobah of Bear Insider, along with Jim McGill, uh, senior writer, editor, uh, and all-around Cal guy. So let's talk about defense today, guys. Like we did last time, I'm going to start up front. We're going to start with the big boys uh, because, as you guys know, games are won and lost in the trenches. And so I'm going to throw it open uh, to either one of you guys, whoever wants to start. Let's talk about the defensive line this year and what we thought coming in and then how it turned out for us. Yeah, I'll jump off. Um, you know, I think on paper coming out of last year, this felt like an area of strength, right? We're going to bring back Brett Johnson. Then we um, find out that Brett's unfortunately been in a scooter accident that, you know, at one point we thought might be career ending. I think at this point we know he's, he's very likely to be back and at full strength for next year. Um, and then we had a whole bunch of youth. Right. Um, Aaron Maldonado never got himself healthy. J.H. Tevis was the only real veteran scholarship player back. It looked like a position of concern. I think it played out interestingly. I'm not sure it became a position of strength, but I also don't think it was one that hurt the Bears uh, overtly. You know, uh, we, we kind of won the lottery pick in the transfer portal, getting Luke Beckett back in a round trip, and he ended up being the foundation to the line. You know, he's just you know, based on size, based on experience, based on technique, based on leadership ability. He was just one of those foundational guys, maybe not a, a difference maker, all Pac-12 level performer, but, but a foundational piece. And then, you know, the, the Cal defense under Peter Sermon decided to play a lot of two, four, five. So we were really only playing two down linemen a lot. Um, you know, I think, the other piece that kind of hurt things was Stanley McKenzie. He was a, a redshirt freshman, uh, really strong, kind of similar to Luke Beckett in a lot of ways, except probably more athletic. And when he got hurt, um, you know, in the first third of the season, that that took a hit to the depth, right? They had to bring in Jaden Roberts. They had to bring in Ethan Saunders, both young, promising players, but probably not yet as flexible, not as yet with the core strength or the hand technique to be able to be difference makers in there. But they made it work. They, they made it be serviceable, particularly against the run, um, less so against the, uh, against the pass and, and getting to the quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the, big, the biggest loss for Cal this year was Brett Johnson going in. He was such a difference maker on that D-line. So I'm with you in terms of Brett Johnson. I love Luke Beckett, so I'm right with you there as well. Uh, and then McKenzie's injury, you lose those three guys. Those are really your three starters uh, you know, at least pseudo stars, if you're going in a four man line, they're three of the four starters. And so it's a huge difference. I mean, huge difference makers, all three of them by, you know, halfway through the season, we're missing them. And so, I mean, excuse me, with Beckett there, we're still good, but we're missing McKenzie and Johnson inside. And so having those two guys out, you're losing two of the three that should be in there. You know, the, the majority of the snaps, Jim, your thoughts. Yeah. The defensive line under the circumstances, especially losing Brett, I think did a pretty nice job. They finished fourth in, in rushing defense yardage allowed over the course of the year, which is pretty admirable considering that, uh, you know, they, they did have a hit to their strength. I think McKenzie was a guy that a lot of people don't realize how, how much of an impact he could have had up the middle. He's a real plugger. Um, 
Correa was able to to get in there and and do some stuff. And you know they would they would swing back it in sometimes. They did a lot of things to mitigate the losses there. But overall, you'd have to say the the um, the defensive line did a nice job, particularly on defense. Now on pass pressure, um, that was one area where they they really didn't have a lot of success. Seemed like most of the pressure had to come from outside linebackers and from blitzes. You would have liked to have seen more natural pressure from the defensive line, but under the circumstances, it's understandable, I think. Well, well and, one, and go ahead, Greg. Oh, I was going to say one one guy who did uh, show some flashes as a pass rusher inside was was freshman Ricky Correa, big boy, you know, three hundred and fifty pounds out of Fresno. He's got you know hugely strong hands, and he's got a burst up the middle. Um, he got hurt with a thumb injury and had to play with a giant cast, which kind of took away his biggest strength, which is those incredibly strong hands. And he's still struggling like a lot of young V linemen was with his pad level. Right. So even as big as he was, he wasn't the anchor inside that Luke or Brett or Stanley were because he just doesn't keep his pad level down. But I do think you look at him, you look at Saunders, you look at Roberts, they've really recruited this position really well. Akili Calhoun, Derek Wilkins, there is a lot of talented depth there uh, when we think about next year. Yeah, and, and the three things that you need for defensive line, obviously assignment, right? So that's a given. But pad level, get off, and hands. Those are the three things. If you can do those three things together, your point about young defensive linemen getting high early, trying to look for the ball, keeping their head up, and not trusting their technique, I mean, that goes across the board for most of those young guys. And so that's, that's a huge piece of it. I thought Korea, yeah, like you said, Korea showed up from time to time, I thought Saunders had some real flashes up in Washington. He had a big flash up there made a big play up there. Um, overall, that line is the difference maker. If you have a defensive line that dominates, think of Georgia, that can dominate a football game. Think of Auburn when they were really good. Think of Alabama when they're dominating Texas A&M. Those kind of defensive lines are difference makers because you can set your defense around that. If you can rush the passer with a defensive line, if you can get after them with your down guys up front, leaves you more guys in coverage, more guys to play man. You can play bracket style coverages. You can play too high. Uh, and if you can stop the run and rush the passer together, Bears weren't able to do both of those together. Now, they were really good on defense, uh, especially towards the end of the year. When we were averaging, I think, just, just over 20 points a game towards the end of the season. And so defensively, they were a lot better. But if you have a defensive line that's dominant, which is why everybody's looking for that dude, right? You've got to have a big three technique, big guy inside who can move people around and either a strong nose guard or a defensive end who can get after it. And, and you have to have two guys up there who absolutely control that line of scrimmage. Brett Johnson would have been one of those guys without a doubt. And then you would have had some opportunities to rotate young guys in at that three technique spot without him. They were kind of searching all year long. If you had Brett Johnson and Luke Beckett together, now you got two anchors and those young guys can get less snaps, go harder, stay lower, you know, better burst. And so I think that it, it really affects what you can do on defense if you can't get after the passer with your front guys. Because now you've either got to bring linebackers and expose your DBs to man-on-man -man coverage, you know, one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, put them on an island, or you've got to bring secondary pressures where now you're putting your linebackers into man coverage and it gets you in trouble. If you try to play too high, you can't get after the passer. It leaves a quarterback all day long to throw, and now they can just pick you apart in zone. And so it's a lot tougher to do. I thought as the season went along, the scheme 
started to fit the personnel. The personnel came in to match the scheme. And I thought there was more production out of that defensive line later in the year than early on. Um, but again, my, my biggest loss for the bears this year was Brett Johnson. Just can't replace a guy like him. He just, he came in with NFL man sized strength as a true freshman. I mean, it'll be a, a big ad getting him back on the defense next year. Yeah, he was, he was tossing people. I remember the first game I called his name. He was literally standing square-footed. The running back was running to his side, and he literally just grabbed him, lifted him up, and, like, suplexed him. And I'm like, <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to do that in college, right? That is man strength as a, as a true freshman. So, yeah. so he's a dominant player. Getting him back will be huge for the Bears this year. He will be playing on Sundays. He'll, he'll be an every-down guy stopping the run uh, in the NFL eventually. So he's, he's a really good football player. Really looking forward to having those young guys too, though. We didn't talk much about them because they they didn't get an opportunity to play much at all. But there's a lot of young talent that's on the roster too with Wilkins and Calhoun and Miles Williams. And we talked a little bit about Saunders. Um, Those young guys, uh, I think, are the the future of the line pairing with guys like McKenzie and and Brett Johnson. There, There could be some really nice depth now that they've got some more experience and some more strength on them after a year in the program. Yeah, no doubt. And defensive end where you're like an, an elite pass rush athlete, you can come in and, and have, have an effect big time as a freshman. It's very rare that an inside player comes in and is dominant as a, you know, as a young player. Um, it takes a couple of years to put on that man strength at the college level. And so as they mature, as they get stronger, as they get bigger, I'm looking forward to, to a lot of input from those guys. Let's move back one level now. Let's talk about that linebacker spot. And this could be a long conversation about linebackers because we played a lot of them this year. Uh, with the Bears. I know that that's one group that Peter Sermons wasn't super happy with, uh, especially early on, trying to juggle people in, juggle people out, had some losses at that linebacker spot. Outside linebackers were supposed to be the strength, right? They, they were the most productive group going in, is what Peter kept saying, in that you had Dang and you had Cam Good on the outside, two really good all-conference players. And then right away, Dang got injured. And that whole linebacker group had to shift around and had to move. We'll start with you this time, Jim. Talk to me, your thoughts on that linebacker spot. Well, outside linebacker was definitely the strength of the defense, even with Dang out. Surprise with Markets Bimage coming in and making a pretty big impact. Not a ton of stats, but he added a level of physicality that set the defense, I think. Good was his normal self. He didn't put up big numbers, but... Uh, he, he was a guy that the defense has always had or offensive always had to, to prepare for and, and scheme around. He provided um, some of the, the few pass rush um, opportunities that the, the Cal defense had. And I, I really loved and was super shocked by the impact that two true freshmen came in and had with, with Femi Odejo and, and Nate Rushina. Those guys were super productive. As, as true freshmen, you know, granted, uh, Rechina was a, a, a gray shirt, so he had graduated high school the year before, but he wasn't in the program. He just came in in the spring. And those guys, um, man, Nate, three interceptions. I mean, he was, he was one off the, the Pac-12 lead in like seven games. Crazy. Oladejo, tons of uh, athleticism. Those guys just supplanted some of the, the older guys in the, the, the rotation like Tattersall pretty quickly and provided an upgrade. So I'm anxious to see where these guys will be once they've been in the program a few years, stronger, more experienced, more confident. They could be really impact guys eventually. And a lot of people didn't see that coming at all. 
Yeah. I, funny, I, co- I actually coached Nate Ricina as a freshman uh, at Monta Vista because my son was playing and, and he played up as a JV player as a freshman at Monta Vista. So I had a chance to coach him at that receiver spot when he was playing. So he's a, he was a really good receiver coming out. And I thought that was going to be a spot eventually. Uh, but a great athlete back there at that linebacker spot. I'll talk more about him in a second. Greg, let's get your thoughts on that linebacker group. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me start at, uh, at outside linebacker. You know, football is a game of dependencies. And coaching staffs, and you mentioned it a minute ago, Mike, are always trying to figure out how to create schemes that fit the strengths and limit the weaknesses of their personnel. And I think with the loss of Dang, it, it changed the defense. Bimage, really strong, stoutly built guy who occasionally uh, could show up in the pass rush, but he was never really going to drop back in coverage. Um, Cam Good became really the designated reliable pass rusher. So even though he had shown in previous years, he was great in zone coverage, those long arms and, and the great speed that he has, he almost had to rush the passer every single time. That took a lot of the, the ability for Sermon to dial up different kinds of defenses and do some of the things that they wanted to do once coin went down. And I think it weakened the defense as a result. That said, those two guys are going to be uh, hard pressed to replace, I guess, knock on wood that Bamaj gets a, you know, the fairy princesses over at the NCAA to wave their magic wand and give them another year, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, Inside linebacker, in my opinion, was the weak link of the defense. And it's not surprising when, as Jim says, you got to play two true freshmen a lot. And then you played two redshirt, you know, technical redshirt freshmen in Iosifa and Pastor, a ton of snaps as well. That's a position where read, react, um, knowing what to do in zone coverages matters a lot. The zone pass defense was absolutely the weakest it's been under Wilcox. And I think the reason you see that was that those young inside linebackers not really understanding their mesh points, not understanding their cues as receivers came across them. And, you know, it was an Achilles heel for us all year. The flip side is they were young, they were fast, they were athletic. Rachina and Pastor, those guys can do it all, right? They can cover, they can blitz, they've got the speed. You saw that with Pastor doing the scoop and score against USC. Um, IOCFA to me remains a little bit of an enigma. Very athletic, good instincts, almost always in the right place. His tackling in terms of bringing people down, still not where it needs to be. Uh, Oladejo, the true freshman, on the other hand, got better and better at bringing ball carriers down as the season went on. And I think he's a a future star for for Cal. Uh, But that was a position of youth that should get better in the way that inside linebackers always get better with more time. Yeah, and you you start off at that position. I, I start off with Cam Good. Right. Had him on the podcast this year. He's a guy that down in, down out is your best player on the football field, kind of every single play. And so he was a guy that you relied on every game this year of all the games. He had one bad game. That was UCLA. And that's because they were trying to use him in two assignments. Really, it's one assignment, the way that they they pattern it. But he's trying to squeeze the end or surf the end of the line of scrimmage, what they call it, coming down on the tackle shoulder so a quarterback can't keep you know, or they can't run off tackle. And he's trying to contain the quarterback at the same time. And so they really kind of contradict each other in terms of technique, surf down and take away C-gap, but also control D-gap on the outside. And so it's pretty tough to do in space against a guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson. And so they, they gave him some tough assignments in that game. And that's the one game where I thought Cam Good was not up to his usual snuff. Other than that, he was fantastic all year long. I mean, he was literally just the best football player on the field uh, in every single game that he played in, except for that UCLA game. And so I was a huge fan of his. 
having coin dang there, I think to your point, Greg, being able to rush the passer and to drop into coverage intermittently from both sides using both coin and cam good would have given Peter Sermon a ton of options on defense in terms of what they can do, what kind of schemes they can ring up when you have cam good on one side. And then now you have to kind of play musical chairs with that other outside backer position. It gets you in trouble. Now, Marcus Bimage, who's an explosive, powerful guy shows up and he, he made a difference at Oregon state game stands out where he gets the tackle and the strip on the first play from scrimmage for Oregon state. And so he really started to exert himself later in the day, but I, your point is well taken that you weren't going to see him drop into coverage a lot. That wasn't his forte in terms of being good in space. Um, and so I thought Bimich helped a ton. I think it allowed Cam Good to do more of the dropping into coverage, of playing in space, of being rangy like he is, and then to come on pressures when they needed him to uh, and to rush the passer as well. And so I think anytime you have a Cam Good on the field, you're not going to get the huge stats because teams are going to find a way to work around him, right, away from him, or to do things run right at him where they're covering him up. And so I, I just think Cam Good was, you know, kind of the heart and soul of that linebacker core. Uh, Orrin Patu. Uh, a good physical athletic player showed up at times. I think his athleticism is going to stand out. Uh, eventually, I think he's a guy that, that can be really athletic at that position as he grows into it. I think uh, Femi Oladejo, I thought he played really well. I remember calling his name several times at TCU where he showed up uh, and played a position. But as you keep hearing me say this, they showed up at times, right? There were spots where we had really good play out of, some of these outside backers. I think Braxton Croto was a guy who was consistent overall. Um, it, like J.H. Tevis, who I didn't mention on the defensive line. Tevis was the lunch pail guy who showed up every time. Croto showed up every time that he played. And so, but the consistency is what we lacked in that linebacker spot. Early on, I thought Evan Tattersall was going to be kind of the answer at that linebacker spot. When he was in high school, every single camp that he went to, he was like the fastest or the second fastest athlete. That included receivers, running backs, everybody. And so having that kind of physical skill, I thought was going to translate to really effective linebacker play from that spot. And he showed that with that speed hit in pass coverage, he was still out of place. He was out of position. He was a really good plugger. He'd come downhill and he'd tackle somebody. Yep. But when he got exposed in space, he got himself in trouble. And that's, and that gets to the awareness that you were talking about at that inside backer spot in that, knowing where you are in the field, what the rush is doing, what your coverage is doing behind you and what your assignment is being able to play all of those things with awareness in space, right? Having your peripheral vision open so that you know, when receivers are coming across how far you carry them, what teams are trying to do to you on offense. Uh, I think the game that really exposed it was Sac state. I think Troy Taylor did a fantastic job of scheming around Cal's linebackers and finding open holes in the middle of the field to create passing shots in the middle of the field for his quarterbacks. And so you have to be able to cover in there. Uh, and I think that was a huge part of why Nate Ruchina was so good when he got in there. And the guy that was as a receiver, good in space, aware of what's going on around him, understanding zones uh, and having a nose for the football. I thought he was really good inside. Iosefa, a young, you know, just a puppy in that linebacker spot, super athletic, like a guy who can be really good at that spot. His, he needs to get better at playing instinctively in that what we were just talking about, knowing where the space is, knowing where he has to be when he drops into coverage, understanding how far you carry a route through, how far do you follow quarterback's eyes, 
all those things come with reps. And so they were really young this year. I thought the production was way down, especially at the inside backer spot in terms of the passing game. I agree with you hundred percent. And I think that's where that linebacker spot has to pick up next year. I think, I thought we had a lot of good run stoppers at that linebacker spot. Um, and, and we played pretty good assignment football in the run game and it showed up, you know, in terms of total stats, but in that passing game, you can't be exposed, especially in that nickel four, two, five, as they call it, really, like you said, Greg, a two, four, five, um, in that you have to be able to play in space. You have to know your assignment and you have to know how to cover quarterback size. And so I think a lot of reps this year for young guys, I think they're going to get better next year. Um, but that's one spot that we really, really could have improved on in terms of pass coverage from that linebacker spot this season. That Nevada game really, really magnified that weakness. They, we, they, they had no answer for balls up the middle of the field. And, and I, I think eventually that, that cost them the game. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And then that was one of those games that was one play, right? You make one play and the game turns out differently. Uh, and there were a lot of those this year and they came down, a lot of them came down to those balls across the middle of the field uh, into those linebacker zones. So I agree with you hundred percent. And again, rep, 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 young guys, those linebackers, get it. I guarantee they're going to get a ton of reps at covering in zone this year from that linebacker spot. Well, one more quick comment. I love that you mentioned Troy Taylor's um, uh, game planning and, and attacking the zone defense of, of Cal. That unfortunately became the tape you had to watch as every subsequent Cal opponent then further took advantage of what Troy exposed for us. And we never could quite figure it out. Yeah. And, and, and again, that gets back to what I was saying earlier. Do you play zone behind it because you're not trying to expose your secondary? Do you rush the passer and try to pressure them into getting rid of the ball early? Do you end up with your linebackers and man to man? Like it's really tough for a defense coordinator to try to put all that together and then base it on down and distance and play call and all of that. And so if you don't do everything well, you expose yourself in certain things. And so when you get into those long zones, those linebackers have to be able to cover uh, for long enough so that the D-line can get pressure, again, where it all works together. If we're not getting pressure with four guys up front or three guys up front, then you need to add a guy. Now you expose more holes in the zone. So anyway, that's all the jigsaw piece of being a defensive coordinator. Let's move back one level now. So now we're going to talk about the secondary. And to me, this this – Linebacker, I didn't expect a lot because we were young. I expected outside linebackers to be good. And then when Coyne got hurt, I was a little more forgiving. Um, but the secondary, I felt, uh, especially early on, we should have been better than we were uh, in terms of playing pass. Now, we played a couple of air raid style or wide open teams early on. And so they're going to expose your secondary. And again, it's an entire team defense thing. But I felt like man coverage on the outside that we should have been better earlier on in the season. Greg, I'll start with you. Yeah, couldn't agree more with you there. It's, uh, you know, it came in with very high expectations, right? You got five returning starters or four returning starters. Cam Bynum was obviously gone, it was, a, it was a loss. But you had a deep, experienced group um, that in the entire Wilcox era had played incredibly high-level pass defense. And those first three or four games, they were markedly below the standard that had been set by their predecessors, markedly so. Um, look, so, some of that was a little bit of injury. Chiggy and you see him came out of camp with a bad hamstring. He's a very physical style press cover guy. And then he lost some confidence. He got beat a few times. And the, the, the kind of 
combination of the injury and the loss of confidence, you know, eventually put him on the bench and he got replaced by a true freshman in Lou Hearns who had a, a fantastic season um, and is a rising star for the program. But, but early on, these guys were not good. And it wasn't just in coverage. They were also missing tackles early. I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't have an explanation as to exactly what happened, but even guys like Josh Drayden, who had had such an outstanding year, year previous, took a step back in his tackling and ability to get guys on the ground. And we had a lot of guys catching balls five, six yards past the line of scrimmage and then running after the catch, uh, especially in the Nevada and the, uh, and the uh, TCU games. But, but look, uh, by the middle of the season, they had righted the ship and pass defense became a strength by the end of the year, especially man to man. You mentioned earlier, you got to be able to play zone. You got to be able to play man. You got to be able to mix it up. You can't stay in man as good as we were playing it near the end of the year because you have running quarterbacks. And when the DB's backs are to the quarterback and they're running downfield and your pass rush is struggling, so you got guys really trying to get up the field and not staying at home to watch that quarterback, you're going to get gashed. And we saw that happen, um, you know, the last third of the season against the defense. Uh, but look, th there were some really bright signs. I, I mentioned Lou Hearns. I mean, he's as natural a cover corner, the great hips, very quick and fast out there. He was a little light. You know, he's probably playing 10 or 15 pounds less than what you see a Pac-12 cornerback play at, but he still had an exceptional year. Colin Gamble fought some injuries early, had a few mental mistakes in the first few games, but came on to be incredibly reliable. Again, one of the fastest guys on the field for the Bears. He's got a really bright future. Isaiah Young comes in and becomes a star in his first game um, right out of the bat. And he's a guy that we watched in scout play really look good. And then, you know, at safety, obviously, you know, Hicks was fantastic, especially the last eight games. I don't know if there was a better safety in college football over the last two thirds of the season than, than he was. But Daniel Scott continues to show up, right? He's a playmaker. It was actually pretty alarming the way the defensive backfield started off the season. You thought it's a, a pretty veteran group overall. And it's one of those things that you kind of taken for granted that Cal's going to perform in the defensive backfield. But, boy, it was it was a, a rough start. Even even the veterans inside, even, even Hicks and Scott weren't playing their best ball at all. And you think, well, boy, you, you've got your veterans that aren't playing. Uh, Anusium doesn't look like he's going to work out. Um, Drayton's off his game a little bit. Now you've got a new young defensive back coach. Did, did they make a, a mistake bringing in Watson? And then things really turned around. I, I got to give credit to, to Trey Watson and to Justin Wilcox and Sermon and whoever righted the ship there. I mean, there was, I know that, that uh, Coach Wilcox got more involved with uh, the defensive backfield to some extent. I don't think much of it was on the field because of his injury, but whatever happened, whether it was his assistance and guiding influence, whether it was Trey growing into the job, whether it was Hearns just using his, his instincts and savvy to, to um, make a really extraordinarily fast adjustment to a productive true freshman starter, to whether it was, Hicks and Scott just finding their bearings as veteran players. I don't know what it was, but it was night and day after the first couple of games, the way those guys performed after that big turnaround. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought, you know, coming into the season, Elijah Hicks was the guy. You knew he was going to be the guy. And so uh, early on, and this ties back to everything that we were talking about, 
pass rush up front. The number, it's just like a quarterback. Quarterback's best friend is the running game and a great offensive line. And you can talk about great receivers, all that stuff. Offensive line and running the, the ball makes for a great quarterback because now it opens things up for you. As a defensive back, if they're going to put pressure on a quarterback and make him make quick decisions and not let him hold the ball, it makes you an All-American. And so if you think back to when Cal's secondary was at their best, you're talking about a defense where linebackers were making the majority of the tackles and they were getting pressure on the passer and playing straight man. And so not being able to do all of those things this year, again, loss of breath, Johnson, the linchpin to that whole thing, not being able to do that up front this year was a huge difference maker for that Cal defense. Um, Greg, to your point, uh, Chigozi and I, I had massive high hopes for him. And I know he got, you know, hamstrung literally with the injury coming out. Um, but he never got that confidence back. He has all the tools in the world. This guy is NFL style body. Um, you know, he, he can, for a college guy, I'm not sure if he's NFL fast, but he's definitely college fast. And, and he was in position, but he didn't trust himself enough to play the position. The one thing about playing DB is oftentimes you have to gamble and you have to make the play when it's there. And yes, you want to play your assignment, but you have to have a sense for it, which means you have to have the confidence to make that happen. And, and Chiggy just wasn't able to do that uh, early in the season this year. And I think they were counting on him big time at the, in that secondary spot to be that guy. Um, and, and maybe it was the injury, whatever it was, he never got his confidence back. I think physically he had all the tools to do it, but never got his confidence back. And it showed up with, you know, not being able to defend the throw behind and then getting beat over the top. Uh, and that makes it tough on a defensive coordinator to call things. My, the guy for me on defense, I don't want to call him my biggest surprise. Um, but, but the most standout guy to me on defense was Daniel Scott. He started playing intuitively, instinctively making plays, reading things, jumping routes, gambling at that safety spot. And he did a fantastic job with it. You remember the pick six versus TCU, you know, is where that first started standing out. And so I thought he did an excellent job all year long at that safety spot. Yes, you are going to get beat in the secondary. You're, it's just going to happen. Um, but he did a fantastic job there. Remember, he wasn't the starter going into the season. An injury got him on the field as a starter, and he just grabbed that job and ran with it. And so I thought he did a fantastic job. And then the other guy who I didn't expect much out of this year because he's a true freshman, Lou Hearns. You guys talked about him. Lou Hearns was an absolute stud out there for the Bears. Um, to come in and play with the amount of confidence, I think more than anything, more than speed, more than quickness, more than anything else, his confidence and his moxie out there on the field uh, sent a message. And, and he could get beat one play and turn around and make a great play the next time. And so he was fantastic out there. I thought Josh Drayden um, – Outside of the tackling issues, as you mentioned, Greg, I thought Josh played great. I thought, I thought he did a nice job. That nickel defender spot inside is one of the hardest spots on the field to play. Yeah. And so when Josh, when they moved him inside of that nickel spot, um, that's, a tough, that's a tough role. And I thought he played it admirably uh, in there as well. But early in the season, you know, that was the weak point. Getting the big posts over the top versus Nevada. Getting the throw behinds, the go balls versus Sac State. Um, you know, when, when you don't – and in the run game, being there to support, you know, not making a tackle when you have a post safety versus TCU on just a standard inside zone play, all of those things, you know, that's on the secondary. And they got to make those plays. But, again, it all ties together for those guys. They need the pass rush. They need the backers to be able to cover underneath so they can do their job over the top. Uh, and that's what 
didn't come together till later in the season. Early on, it was tough. But I thought later in the season, that secondary came together. I thought they gelled well. Uh, I thought uh, Coach Sermons found a way, along with Coach Wilcox, to call the defense that helped those guys out. Um, like we said, we were one play away in a lot of those games, and some of those plays were in the secondary. Had they made plays in the secondary, uh, then those games wouldn't have turned out the way that they did. But, you know, it, it's in the can now. It, it's done and done. But uh, I thought that they grew. I look forward to next year. Replacing Elijah Hicks will be incredibly tough. Um, I think in that secondary, Josh Drayden is a great leader outside of being a really good football player. Mm-hmm. So replacing him is going to be tough too. But Isaiah Young, as you said, showed up. I thought he really made a name for himself out there. Colin Gamble showed up. And so uh, and there's some young talent on campus. Uh, looking forward to seeing what that looks like in spring ball this year for the Bears. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm actually optimistic. I think there's good depth of talent coming back. Um, you know, you mentioned Craig Woodson, who was starting ahead of Daniel Scott and had an unbelievable spring. And the first week of fall camp, he was making every play. He was the MVP of the defense that early until he goes down with the, with the knee injury. Um, he's an electric athlete who the kind of light switch had finally gone on. And I think he's going to have a real opportunity, assuming he's 100% healthy, to slip right into Elijah Hicks's role alongside Daniel Scott and, you know, young miles Williams, he looked good early on. He got a little dinged up and kind of faded late Ray Woody, the transfer from Fresno from Florida state had some nice moments throughout the year. Uh, And then Hunter Barth is another freshman they had last year that they were really high on who just, you know, didn't see the field just because of the experience ahead of him. But there's a lot of talent coming back at safety and, and cornerback. And I think whatever happened there mentally, um, and getting alignment between Trey and Sermon and Wilcox. I, I think that's been resolved. And I think you're going to see the secondary start out the season at the level that we've seen throughout uh, Justin's tenure here. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously that's a position of pride for coach Wilcox. That's his position, right? Defensive back. And so that's a big deal for him. But I think just like the linebacker spot, it was some personnel issues in there as well, getting the right guys in where you get the mix, where you get that chemistry in that secondary, they start to understand each other, communicate and play better. And so I think that's a huge piece of it. Uh, that's, that's why I worry a little bit about the loss of Elijah Hicks and Josh Drayden, you know, two veteran leaders out there on the field. Um, but Craig Woodson is an absolute stud and I'm looking forward to him being back and healthy uh, for spring ball. So we'll see how that all turns out. Any more, any other thoughts on defense before we go into special teams? I would just say, uh, you know, despite losing their two veteran arguably most productive players pretty impressive that overall Cal was able to rebound to have the number three defense in the league that 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 spoke really well to the coaching and their resiliency and just the way they responded to adversity early yeah I I I second that in in, in Pac-12 play alone I actually think they were second in yards given up per play and that's remarkable We, we talked about the fact that there was the pass rush was definitely below what you would expect it to be. And the insider linebacker play was not great. And the secondary struggled out of the gate. Despite all that, we still had the second or third defense, depending on how you want to slice it up in the Pac-12. Yeah, and on top of that, really good scoring defense. But what that tells you is the old saying of defense wins championships may not be so true anymore in this modern day and age of college football, right? You need to score more points. And so a great offense is, you know, the best defense, in my opinion, as a quarterback, you know, being able to score points and put points up there on people, defense and offense have to balance out. And so uh, getting more production on offense will also definitely help that defense. Too many three and outs, leaving those guys on the field, especially with the young guys. Uh, And I think a ton of reps 
are going to help that defense as well. They got a lot of game reps this year, getting young guys back and then filling in some more spots. Cam Good's going to be a huge loss, but getting Brett Johnson back is going to be a big difference maker. Losing Luke Beckett is going to be big. But, yeah. you know, getting, getting some of those young guys some reps this year means they can come and hit the ground running in the spring. Yeah, yeah. And two, two guys, two names I'll ask you to hold on to as you think about um, solving for Cam Good's loss and the pass rush next year. Oren Patu had a couple of moments this year and kind of some spot duty as a pass rusher. And in watching practice over the years, he has that knack to get by the offensive line then and get to the quarterback. That's just a natural born instinct, lateral agility, long arms, whatever it is, he's got it. And then a freshman who would have played, I think, this year, but got hurt, unfortunately, was uh, Caleb Alarms Orr, four-star kid out of Hayward, lightning, electrical athlete, maybe the best athlete we recruited at the linebacker position since Michael Kendricks was here. And, you know, hopefully he's 100% healed and he could be a factor there in trying to fill Cam's shoes next year. That would be a huge, huge difference maker uh, in trying to fill that spot. I love Patu. I think he's a really good football player. Uh, I know his dad really well. He played for my head coach in the Arena Football League. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his dad, big fan of the whole family. Um, but but uh, I think Warren Patu could be really, really good uh, for the Bears. Again, it's so many young guys, right, trying to get up to speed, trying to understand the system, trying to get the reps at that spot. Uh, and so game reps this year are going to help a ton for that team coming back in the spring. Let's move on to special teams now. And this one, an interesting year for special teams. For the Bears, the, the biggest piece that stands out, and you think back of the TCU game, snap, hold, kick. You got to be able to snap, hold, kick, right? It's PATs, field goals should be automatics in terms of offense. Snap, hold, kick. That's it. And it's not about protection. It's not about guys getting through. It's about getting the snap to the holder where he can manage it to get it on the ground and then making the kick. And we didn't do it very efficiently this year, uh, especially early on. Had to make a switch at that long snapper position. Uh, and it wasn't that Zellers couldn't snap. He couldn't make that snap. It's just that he got a case of the yips, you know, that, that something was happening. He got a hitch in his mechanics or something happened to him where he was not making those snaps. And so that was the biggest thing on special teams to me in something that should be an automatic that wasn't an automatic for the Bears, Greg. Yeah, I mean, Sl Slater, talk about a surprise in the wrong direction. Slater comes in as an All-American candidate, as a long snapper, an All-American candidate. He'd been perfect in his Cal career. And as you said, I think the best word to describe it is yips. It made me think about former L.A. Dodgers second baseman Steve Sachs not being able to throw the ball back to the pitching mound, much less first base. It's it just something snapped uh, and, you know, it, it cost us a football game. And it may have cost us two, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, you know, I, when I think about special teams, you always got to start with Justin Wilcox's philosophy about special teams, which is I don't want it to lose me games. Right. He's not Frank Beamer, the great Virginia Tech head coach that tried to win football games with his special teams. Justin wants no block punts, no block field goals, make the easy ones, do the obvious, tackle the guys on the return team, and let's win the game on the line of scrimmage. And look, despite the, the challenges we had with the snap hold kick early, this might have been the best year overall for special teams under Justin Wilcox. From about the fourth or fifth game on, the place kicking was really rock solid. Um, the punting wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Never put us in, in bad positions. Uh, the return teams overall were really solid. There was a couple of early mistakes that hurt us. The Nevada punt return at the end of the first half actually really might have been the single biggest play that cost us that game. Um, 
but overall they were solid. And, and an interesting thread there is that we're losing the special teams coordinator. Charlie Ragel has taken the head coaching job at Idaho state. Charlie's a world-class guy and, and a fantastic recruiter. He will be missed at, at Cal, but interestingly, you know, he had some health issues that, that arose in the middle of the season and Michael Barton, former inside linebacker, Cal kind of stepped up as a grad assistant. Some of the other coaches got involved and I thought, the special teams actually lifted up. Um, I know we're still looking for how we're going to fill that position going forward, but I think the way we finish the year on special teams leaves us in a good spot as we think about 2022. I, I agree with that hundred percent. I'm a huge fan of Michael Barton, by the way, loved him as a bear when he was here before he transferred out. Um, but loved him as a bear when he was here, loved him in high school, got to call some of his high school games, just a quality dude. Uh, I, and I love Charlie too, right? He was our pipeline into Arizona, the guy who knew it really well, who recruited it really well. Um, good recruiter. Wish him all the best at Idaho State. Um, and uh, so, you know, big shoes to fill. Special teams, I agree with Justin in terms of special teams. I don't need them to win me games, um, but I don't want them to lose me games. Just let's trade the field when we need to with the punt and let's snap, hold, and kick and make it happen. Let's cover kickoffs and let's return some kickoffs, you know, get some good yardage, good starting positions. Uh, don't pin ourselves deep. And if we can do that, I think that you let the offense and defense do what they're supposed to do and play football and, and win games, you know, on, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. It's interesting that Justin does have that philosophy and that Chris Peterson, who's one of his mentors, obviously from Boise state, yeah. um, when he goes in to give coaching talks, he will literally give an hour long talk on special teams and coaching special teams. And everybody wants to know about the offense and, you know, all that side for him. And he literally gives talks on special teams because he thinks it's such an important part of the game. And so uh, I, I don't tend to focus on special teams a lot. I think it's one of those things that needs to be automatic. You stay in your lane, you cover your kicks, you make the plays that you have to make. And if you can spring one every now and then on a kick return, all the better. I, I actually be honest with you, I used to hate it when we get the big returns because it takes an offense out of their rhythm. You don't get on the field, you miss your reps, you miss your turns, and it kind of takes you out of your rhythm. But it's also a huge momentum shifter in the game too. So I understand the importance of them, but I like winning the game on offense and defense, Jim. Yeah, you know, special teams are almost an afterthought for a lot of fans. It's one of those things where if it's working right, you don't notice it. You only notice it if it's, if it's bad. And last year with the shortened season, the special teams unit basically cost the team two games and not only two games, Stanford game with the two block kicks and the Oregon state game, you know, having the kick return call back and the punt block right in the shadow of the end zone, they cost the team their first Rose bowl in over 50 years because they would have finished three and one with a win over Oregon would have had the tiebreaker with Oregon and would have gone to the Pac-12 championship game. Insane. So, you know, fans came in this year with a lot of trepidation about the special teams unit, started off really uneven, the snaps were really poor. But again, it's a, a situation where there was a big rebound, and it was kind of a quiet rebound. But, you know, there was a lot of concern over, over the kicking, but Longhetto ended up finishing third in the league in field goal accuracy, 11-14. Uh, um, first in PAT accuracy. They did have some issues with depth on kickoff. He got a tired leg late in the year, and hopefully that's yeah. going to address this next year, strengthening him, or maybe he was injured. I don't know. But overall, a nice recovery. They put Cindric in on those short snaps, and that made a big difference. It was just, it was mind boggling that, that Zeller's 
would get in his head like that because he was money all the way through high school, first couple of years at Cal. But, you know, sometimes guys have some failures. It gets in their heads. They can't shake it. And you got to figure out a way around it, either as coaches or the player or, or somebody else. But overall, I think they took a unit that was a major liability last year and early this year and, and turned it into one that was a, a bit of a strength. You know, um, returns too later in the year got much stronger too. Yeah, you know, you know, one funny thing is I do the film reviews, right? And so you, you go through the game, you're you're hitting the rewind button, fast forward, the stop motion, you know, on, on all the plays back and forth. And oftentimes on the special teams, if I knew it was not a play of any consequence, you're you're going through them pretty fast. The last couple of games, I had to hit rewind a couple of times on our punt coverage team. And I mentioned this because I think it's uh, it's interesting about the future of our offense. We put J. Michael Sturdivant, the, the high four-star, the top recruit of the last class, out at Gunner. And for the first time since Javid Best had been on Memorial Stadium, your eye was a blur as you watched him beat his guy and almost beat the punt down the field. We haven't seen that kind of explosive speed on the field in a long, long time. And, yeah, it, it's not as exciting to watch on a punt coverage but boy, does that hearken to some really exciting future offensive plays with, with Sturdivant going forward. Well, and the unselfishness of, I'm going to go play on special teams too, right? Doing something for the team out there. I remember calling a lot of starters names out there on the special teams this year. And that, that tells you a lot about the character of a football team in that you have your starters out there on the field. It tells you you have a need on the special teams too, but it tells you that those guys willing to participate, actively participate. A lot of them were petitioning to participate on special teams. Uh, and so those guys getting in there tells you about the character of your team, too. It's funny because, you know, I do the same thing when I watch film, like special teams, eh, next, next, right? I'm on to the next thing. And uh, it's, I liken special teams to the heating and air conditioning in your house. When it's working right, you don't even think about it, right? It's just working right. But boy, when it's working wrong, you notice it and it's a big problem right away. So being efficient on special teams, being good about it, taking care of it is huge um, for the Bears. And, and a lot of young talent, like we talked about on campus, uh, those guys, a lot of guys earn their spot on offense and defense by participating and doing well on special teams too. So it's a great place for young players to get some experience in games doing that. I personally got to cover kicks when I was a quarterback at Cal, back up at Troy Taylor. Uh, I got to cover kicks and got four tackles. Uh, excuse me. Got, yeah, I got four tackles in four games, uh, wow. including a decleater against Arizona. So I'm pretty excited about participating <laughs> in special teams myself. Love that. Love that. You, yes. know, you know, one, one other comment, uh, I, I talked to Charlie Regal before the season started and he was, you know, he's obviously been a great recruiter and was a great recruiter. You mentioned the Arizona pipeline, but as a special teams coordinator, I was asking him about, you know, his prognostications about special teams. And he said, look, one of the ways you judge how well you've been recruiting is what happens on special teams. How many guys want to try out for special teams and how many big competitive athletes do you have that want to block or run down the field and tackle guys? And, you know, his point to me in fall camp was clear step function better than it had been before. And that's so huge. Because a lot of these guys are going to cut their teeth playing special teams. That's, you know, just like you did, Mike, right? Before you're taking snaps behind center, you're running down on kick coverage. Getting on the field like that, you know, that establishes you in the in the locker room. It makes you feel comfortable when you're out in the field. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives that come from having that depth of talent that make your special teams better. 
No doubt. And it's, and it's especially in this day and age of the transfer portal, it's also how you recruit your guys too, right? You have to, you, can't, you don't just recruit off campus anymore. You have to recruit guys in the locker room too, because they got to feel like they're part of the team. They got to feel like they're making a difference and having a purpose there. And so if guys can have that purpose early on special teams, be a part of that team, contribute, it makes a big difference in keeping those guys on campus too. One thing I want to mention too, whose name didn't come up, I don't think, is, is Nick Edson. The guy had two blocks. He, he's a guy that did the dirty work at tight end. I don't think he saw a pass come his way. He was a good blocker out there, but he, he's like, coach, I want to play special teams every unit I can play. And two blocks in a season, you don't see that very often. He was the leader in the Pac-12 there. And the second one especially was huge against Oregon State. That, that, uh, that made a big impact. Yeah, and that tight end room was pretty deep this year. You know, you had seven guys who could play. Uh, so getting out there and, and <laughs> getting on special teams, like I said, getting your jersey dirty is a big, big difference maker. We played a funny story, not a special team story, but we were down in Tennessee, and uh, Matt Larson, who was one of our tight ends at the time, uh, he's on the sideline, and some dude up in the stands is yelling at him. He's like, hey, Larson, your jersey ain't dirty. You must not be playing a lot. And Larson turns around and goes, we're playing on turf, you an idiot. Like that. <laughs> so one of those great all-time cow stories. I love it. But uh, you know, special teams is a way you, you can get your jersey dirty, even if it's turf this year. This has been great. Really appreciate it, Mike. I mean, I, I'll leave everybody with, with one thought. We lost five football games this year by less than a touchdown. If you broke down the film of those games, it came down to one or two plays at the most. Uh, when we talk about special teams, when we talk about defense, when we talked about the offense before, it's really close for this team to go from this five and seven to an eight, nine win team. It's a handful of plays. And, you know, hopefully um, the momentum we saw towards the end of the season carries over to next year and we make those plays. And we're here doing this 12 months from now, talking about a nine or 10 win team. Yeah. And, and having Coach Wilcox stay right? That continuity of the coaching staff. I think it's great for this team. I think it's great for Cal. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, it's just going to be a really good thing to watch those young faces on defense grow up on offense, getting a, a, a new air. You know, we, we've had Chase for a long time and wishing the best, but getting a, a kind of a new attitude on offense, a new change on offense, um, see what they can do on offense, offensive side of the ball. I'm very interested in what is going to happen going forward. As always, I appreciate you guys coming on. It's always good to talk Cal football here. Everybody at home, listening all year long, listening to these podcasts, your, your uh, responses, your remarks down below have been fun and interesting to see sometimes, um, but always good. We all love the Bears, and we have our different ways of expressing it. Uh, appreciate everybody checking us out. Staying on bearinsider.com. There will be news, information, recruiting, all that stuff in the offseason. Uh, but as always, we appreciate you guys watching. Wish you the happiest of New Year's coming up, and go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears.